Over the next few weeks, we will be interviewing the authors from the collaborative book, The Grief Experience, Tools for Acceptance, Resilience, and Connection, which is set to release in February of 2024. These authors have each experienced their own unique grief journey and will be sharing their personal stories with us. We will also explore the specific tools they used to cope with their grief and how these tools can benefit others who may be going through similar experiences. Grief is a complex and challenging process, and each person's experience is different. By sharing our stories and tools, we hope to provide support, guidance, and comfort to those navigating their grief journey. Each author has experienced different types of loss and comes from a variety of backgrounds, beliefs, and experiences. As a result, they offer valuable insights and perspectives. We are honored to have them join us on this podcast series and to share their stories and tools with you, our Path 11 podcast listeners. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. We have got a really interesting show today. I have a funeral director who is my guest. And let me tell you something. I got a chance to meet her at a happy hour that we were all getting together because a bunch of us authors were getting together for this book that we're writing, The Grief Experience, Tools for Acceptance, Resilience, and Connection. And she is just the bubbliest, like positive energy person. She is not the personality that you would assume a funeral director would be. So I was so shocked to hear that that was her career and that's what she's doing. So let me tell you a little bit more about her because I think you're going to love her as much as I do. And she is born and bred in the funeral business. So my guest name is Brittany DeMarco Furman, and she is proud to be the first female licensed funeral director in her family's 100-plus year legacy at the Glenville Funeral Home in Glenville, New York. As a fourth-generation funeral director, she finds herself navigating between old-school tradition and new-age healing practices in this ever-changing world. She cares for the dead, but what people don't really realize is how much she cares for the living as a funeral director. So, Brittany, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I am so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that I got to meet you at our kind of happy hour that we had to kind of get to know the authors for all of us who were in New York. And you uh, live really close to my office in Malta, New York. So for those of you who don't know where that is, it's kind of upstate New York near Saratoga Springs, New York. And um, yeah, so I am so excited to have you on the show because I think I've only interviewed one other person on the podcast in the funeral business. So it's really cool to be able to get some questions answered and you know, just hear a little bit more about what a funeral director does. But would love for my audience to hear a little bit about your background because you did something like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of being a funeral director before you kind of made the switch. So give give my audience a little bit of your background. Oh, yes. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure meeting you and the other authors. And 
uh, kind of just having this space to talk as a funeral director because I kind of feel like we're kind of like the forgotten trade sometimes. And yeah, lots of people who meet me, they're like, you're a funeral director because my personality is the complete opposite of what you would think based on the media or just what you would think of a mortician. So my background going back from the beginning, like you said, born and bred, my family business is in Schenectady for over 100 years and independently owned here in Glenville with my dad and my other co-workers. It is truly a family business. Mom, she did the gardening, the books. Now her new role is a nanny for my two-year-old daughter. So, And my sister has helped out in the business doing the stationery. We thought my sister was going to be the one to take over when I was in high school. So I always have had this ambition to love life and find my calling. So at that time, at 17, 18, it was not the funeral business. I was like, thanks, dad. No way. <laughs> Went down to the city, did marketing. I was a wedding planner. So I had a beautiful internship where I would plan weddings and kind of did a little bit of the side helping people plan their weddings throughout my early 20s. And it was a beautiful job, but very stressful. So sometimes people are like, you work with the dead? I'm like, how about you work with the bride? <laughs> there than chaos there. Uh, but in my mid-20s, I, you know, kind of came home and helped out dad because he's a little short-staffed, met this lovely widow, well, always remember him. And we were talking about his wife who passed away and what I could do to kind of capture her essence. And we got to learn about her through his perspective. And the simplest thing, a white orchid, he, it came up how she loved orchids. And when we were talking about flowers, well, actually, I wasn't there in the meeting because I wasn't a funeral director yet. I was talking to him. And for some reason, I was just, you know, I'm going to buy this man a white orchid. And I put that out on display. And the love and gratitude he provided me and what that meant to him and the healing, it just, it kind of just locked me into this business. And I went right back to school for more straight science at 25. And here I am now, licensed for Cheese, it goes by fast. I think it's going to be four years as a licensed director. And what a lot of people don't know in New York, you have to have a mortuary science associate's degree. So that's two years. Luckily, I had a, a bachelor's from the University of Albany, so it wasn't that long. Then from there, you have two national boards, which is it's very challenging. My sister, actually, uh, she just I couldn't get through the boards and was like, it's not for me. And it is, it's quite the process to get that license. Then you have a year residency, which I did here with my family at Glendale Funeral Home. And then you have a New York State law exam because every kind of trade, whether that's becoming a lawyer, becoming a doctor, and living in the great state of New York, you are the most qualified in the, in the country. So yeah, it's it's quite the career that people don't understand the the education goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, quite a while before you actually get to practice and do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's my short, long story. <laughs> yeah. So uh, can you tell me just a little bit more about what are the duties of a funeral director? Uh, like, you know, are you also preparing the bodies? Are you um, just meeting and greeting the people, helping them to pick out 
caskets or urns and, you know, stuff like that and planning for the wakes or the funerals. So what are all the duties that, you know, you have to do in a day? Well, funeral director, they certainly wear all hats. So with the license, you know, you have to work with the the paperwork, with the New York death certificate, um, getting the necessary authorizations, meeting with the families, um, helping the grieving during their grief process, at the time of passing, during the services, and after care, you know, checking in on the family. If you've ever been to a funeral, greeting the family and making sure that they're comfortable here in our space, you know, that we used to hold funerals in homes. So that's why they call it funeral home. So to try to create a compassionate, safe, comfortable space is our goal. But the ins and outs of funeral directing and planning, there is the the more that, you know, the, the reason why people sometimes don't want to get into this profession is preparing the loved one and taking people into our care at 2 a.m. in the morning. I do not, I am not an embalmer. So I was trained to do it, to receive my license. But that was my one thing with my father is I will go into this business. But dad, I know this is not like what I want to do. And I know where I'm good at. And I know where I don't think I would be my best self. So I was honest with him. And he's that's fine. Many funeral directors are not embalmers. So I take more of, I don't want to say at the front end of the, the business, because like today, I just went to a hospital to take a loved one into our care. And I go to homes all the time to take them home to our funeral home. So I definitely do help the deceased and I do care for the deceased. I'm just not the actual embalmer here. But caring for the living is, that's what I want to do. They require so much attention and so much care during those very delicate times. And it's kind of, you don't want to say you're you're walking on eggshells, but when you meet a family, you already feel their energy and kind of guiding them on how to go. So it is it is the hardest part of this job, but it's the job that I love the most is caring for them. Yeah, it's such a unique time because it feels like, you know, in our society, the decision as to where the body needs to be taken is so quick after death, you know, and if the family hasn't talked about, you know, do they want to be cremated or, you know, is there going to be an open casket? Is there going to be a wake? Are there going to be services? It's like the body has to be transported from the hospital, the morgue or whatever to you know, either a funeral home or to prepare for cremation, you know? And and I didn't realize this, but not all funeral homes are connected to crematories. No. Right? A while back, I know we were asked to open up a crematorium here in Glenville based on the space, but my dad said no because we were little girls at the time. But now looking back, you know, it would be convenient. So those Funeral homes that said yes back then before they changed the rules are grandfathered in. So in this area here in Capital Region, there's about four crematoriums, about 20 mile radius. So there, we all are under contract. So gotcha. it's what a lot of people don't understand. But it's so, it's so crazy. You bring up transporting the body. That's why you have the license because you need a permit to bury a body which requires a death certificate process and getting the necessary authorizations from the doctor and also the registrar's office. And that's one of the most important parts of our job because those death certificates help people close bank accounts, get the estate going, 
uh, being able to sell their home, moving as assets and accounts. So, because what really on top of losing a loved one and having to deal with that loss, you're you have tons of baggage now. You know, especially if this wasn't planned, and not all of us have our our affairs in order, unfortunately. So it's it's quite the burden on the family. So those yeah. death certificates do make it uh, much easier to help move things around and closing things. Yeah, the death certificate is like the golden ticket. Like <laughs> you need multiple copies of the original, you know, because when my mom had passed, I had no idea. And luckily somebody had said, you know, make sure you ask for multiple copies of original because some places will only need the original, you know, mm-hmm. need an original yeah, copy. Yeah. And it's this is one thing you don't ever want to lose. And you want to also make photocopies of. So yeah, the death certificate becomes the golden ticket of as important as your social security card. You know, it's after because we close social security on behalf Mm -hmm. of the families and the loved one that passed that now that's that's their last kind of document that's legal here on earth. So right. Yeah. So we we're the protector of the legal portion to help the family. But of course, protecting the family's emotions um, to have the special moments. Um, I don't like to use the word closure. But it's a ceremony. You have one chance to have a funeral and that is going to create a lasting impact on those people. So you got to do it right. And of course, caring for the dead. And not everybody wants to do that job. So you have to do it with respect and you have to be a special kind of person to do that. Absolutely. I would agree. Now, before I ask you some more kind of, you know, real time questions, I'm just curious to know what it was like as a child to, you know, grow up and your dad's, you know, a funeral director. And did you guys like live in the funeral home or what was that like? I'm actually right now, I'm in the room closest to the funeral home and my bedroom's right upstairs. And my view right now is the banister from the back porch, which as a teenager, that's how I would sneak out of the house, (laughs) jumping across (laughs) into the banister from my bedroom window. But yes, our house is not connected, but it's very close, like an alley. So going to get dad for dinner and he's in the morgue because he wasn't a bomber. Dad, dinner's ready. <laughs> and then my mom and grandma doing the gardening here, having us pull weeds when you we are able to think three years old to start. Um, helping my dad at the door. My sister and I were like Irish twins, so close in age. Matching outfits, greeting the the sad family with our our cute little smiles and my dad introducing us and kind of giving that you know we're human too we're this is family and whatever your family needs this is my family we're here for you so we definitely have continued that that tradition here with the new the new age generation I'm 32 our other two directors are 31 and 32 so we're definitely on the same page, growing our family life and growing this business and keeping a very family-oriented service. Mm-hmm. So did you guys always talk openly about death or like when you were younger, you know, maybe some of the first questions that you were asking, was death always just an open topic and very easy for your family to talk about? You know, I always questioned what was, what goes on afterwards when we pass away. Like it's a bad thing. And my dad always reminded us that it's a part of life and reminded us that we are here to live our best life and spread kindness and find our purpose in the world. 
But after we pass, you know, we, we pass on to be with our loved ones and we find peace. And it's a part of our human existence. So he kind of made it spiritual, but also that it's matter of fact, if that makes any sense. Sure, um, yeah. So I never have been scared of dying. I've kind of been scared of living and not making sure I live my best life. I know when it comes to the book, which we'll probably talk to, or, you know, when people read the book, I'm going to be talking more about what our purpose is here on earth and making sure that you try to live the best life because um, we don't know if we're going to have another chance at this and um, our existence is important and to make it count. Yeah. So you kind of shared when we all got together a story of loss that you had with your great aunt and how that really kind of impacted you. And as I've said in other interviews, we're pre-recording all of these shows before the authors have actually decided what they're going to write. So we're all you know, trying to figure this out. And, but, you know, we have to get these interviews recorded because this book is going to be out in February. So we're all just trying to figure out what are we going to write, but we all got a chance to share a little bit of our stories. And Brittany, you shared the impact of the death of your great aunt, who sounded like a queen, right? She was a queen queen of the town. Yeah. And, but there was also something, and I'll let you share your story, but something that really resonated with me that I had a similar experience when my mom had passed. So maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that too. But would you like to share a little bit about your great aunt and how that loss impacted you? So she was absolutely fabulous. When I think of the DeMarco side of the family, I really correlate to her. I feel like she has always had that energy, which I kind of strive to be. And we've just had a lot in common. So when you say great aunt, you know, you're like, oh, well, that's kind of far away from the immediate family in a way. But, you know, when it came to, you know, I'm very about energy and, you know, your spirit. She was kind of like my spirit animal. So uh, I always remember her always being so glamorous and so just, I don't know the word, so elegant. And when she passed away, it was it was pretty sudden because, you know, I'm pretty sure she was sitting at the bar looking all fabulous on a Friday night just a month later. And when she passed away, I kind of needed to be able to see her because I knew she always liked to dress a certain way. She always had her clip-on earrings. She, she always had this distinct perfume. And caring about her passing, of course, we did have services for her, but she was cremated. And... I just kind of feel like in the, I, I'm not crazy. Like I know she passed away, but in the back of my head, I'm like, maybe she's, maybe she's somewhere. Maybe she like went missing or, you know, like I just, I just didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And we pride ourselves as funeral directors for restorative art. It is what we're trained to do is to bring the loved one as much as possible back to their natural state of appearance. That comes with embalming, the formaldehyde that does, you know, make the body kind of stand still and not decompose in other terms. And then there's the makeup. There's also the things that you could like place in the face to make them look like they have the bone structure and the skin that they had when they're alive and also calming features. It is so sad when you see a body that's not prepared right and their mouth is open and their eyes are open, it causes more pain than good. So I'm saying that if my grandma, excuse me, if my great aunt was 
prepared for a viewing to see her in her fabulous self looking like Snow White sleeping, that could be like, rest in peace, queen. I I feel like I'd have some more peace that she is gone. And that was the first time as a funeral director, and I want to say I was 28, 28 years of being in this business where I understood the importance of an open casket. Mm -hmm. So, and what was the reason why you weren't able to view her before she was cremated? Were you not able to get to the body in time or? It was the family's choice. And because I'm a distant, you know, I was never going to put in, I would never put in my two cents about that. But I did before the cremation process, be able to get the earrings to the funeral home for them to put the clip on earrings she gave me years ago and she was cremated in that. So that gave me some peace, but you, you know, I'm not the immediate family, but it, it just shows the ripple effect that we make here on earth that people still, you know, need that, that, that time to say goodbye and, you know, see you later. Hopefully in heaven one day where she's, hon, honey, has a martini in her hand <laughs> and looking fabulous. I'm looking forward to seeing her up there one day, but here on earth, it just, it really was kind of mind boggling not being able to see her one last time here. Yeah. So, you know, that that kind of leads into my story, too, and maybe gives you even a greater understanding for some people in maybe more sudden death incidences. Like my mom, there was a, a vehicle accident where she was, you know, walking across the street and was hit. So there were a lot of broken bones. And, you know, the the coroners had even said to me, this was even a little tough for us, you know, and we wouldn't recommend for you to view the body. And so when I went to the funeral home, that this was a discussion to be had again. And the funeral director, given maybe they, I don't know if they, this is a question I could ask you, do they get to view the bodies too to see what condition they're in when they go to the morgue? Or do oh. they just, oh, wait, well, okay. The, well, the body was going to be taken into their care, correct? Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. So they absolutely would have opened up the bag and checked out to see what the situation is for any case. So right. we always have to, and you also have to identify the body. Uh, you know, God forbid, um, you know, who you're taking from the morgue, it needs to be the person that you're, you're assigned to. Okay. Yeah. So this is still, it's three years later, but it's still like a little bit of a blur of even having the meeting with the funeral director. But, you know, so we were talking about that and he was, you know, very adamant that I should not see the body. And so, you know, given the report and stuff like that, and, you know, there was a part of me that didn't like somebody to say, I can't see my mom, you know, because I really wanted to be able to have that closure. And so I had to like really think hard about this because I knew that it wasn't going to look like her. And they did talk about possibly being able to do some reconstruction, like you were talking about of, you know, recreating uh, what she looked like, but it would be pretty hard. And that if I still insisted, the funeral parlor said that I would have to sign a release, releasing them of any trauma that could be caused to me of viewing the body, that they would not be held liable for that. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Uh, and that, and that is certainly true. Um, wow. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, our our license and our profession, our business is on the line. And we never would want to say that we are the reason of your pain or you're having a, a negative grief experience or prolonged grief or having PTSD from that experience because we allowed you to see your loved one in that case. However, 
there is always a better method to go about that. You be honest with the family, which they were, but you should always have the chance to see your loved one after they do the restorative work and you make that decision if you want to see them or not. It's... It's it's a very fine line because you want to protect the emotion of the, the, the family, but you also understand this is not your family. This is their decision. Right. So I, I guess the legal document is to protect from anything. Just as we sign a waiver for our photo, you know, being used, we're also signing a waiver that this is as honest as possible. This is, we don't want this to cause traumatic stress on you. We're just letting you know that this is your choice to see your loved one. And they better have done the best job that they could do because that is what our profession is, is to try to find that peace and try to find a little sense of what you know the person to look like and have them look like they're in just a deep slumber. But it does sound that that experience, because you had these business protocols did create a little bit more of a stress than actually seeing your mom. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, his reaction, I think, took me back a little bit. And, you know, being a mental health therapist and understanding PTSD and, you know, really weighing out the consequence of how important is it to view and do I really want to be working through the last image if it was as bad as they said it was, which I believe that is true, you know, to now I'm dealing with PTSD for the rest of my life of that, you know. So, you know, I really, that was probably one of the toughest decisions in the grieving process for me was to say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to view the body, you know, which I think in the long run is probably the best. And I think my mom would say so. I don't want you to see me that way, you know, type thing. And you're in the back of your mind. Oh, of course. Protecting her daughter. And that honestly, this is like the most difficult, difficult thing to be, have to witness or have to take part in as a funeral director because at the end of the day, this is your family. What is, what is our right but to deny you that? But, as a professional, and I don't want to use the word protecting you, it's just to let you know the honest truth and to avoid any kind of emotional distress later. I hope that he said it in a, him or her said it in a more kinder manner, because it's definitely not the topic to be business. It has to be human conversation when you make that, that hard call to your family. Yeah, it was just, it's a weird moment because I guess, you know, even though this was like an accident and I knew it probably wasn't going to be a good thing, you just never in that moment realized, wow, like the opportunity to view my loved one, there is a possibility that that is taken away, you know, given the type of death. So I was curious to know from your opinion too, are there other circumstances that you've run into or is it primarily, you know, suicides or accidents or you were mentioning something too when we met gases, certain gases that get emitted from a body and how, you know, there's stuff like that. So when, when would it not be advised, you know, or like you said, you would have to really speak to the family about the danger of viewing a body when it maybe is not in the best shape for viewing. So like I talked to you uh, last week, the week prior, I had to make this call to the family. I did let them make their decision because it was, I didn't think as traumatic as for them to have to sign a waiver. 
but just letting them know we may not be able to have an open casket for your loved one because it's called tissue gas, which means that bacteria got into the body. Typically, when somebody passes suddenly from usually a heart attack and pressure, there's a buildup of the bacteria and it, it causes, I want to say, one in one in 100 cases this happens. I've really only seen it four times in my profession. And unfortunately, it happened. And I wanted to have an honest conversation with them that this is what, as professionals, this is what we're experiencing right now. And we don't recommend an open casket. And she's, I want to see him. And I'm like, absolutely. So she came and she's okay. So he was very blue, very puppy. His eyes were, looked like they were enlarged and then deflated, if that makes any sense. So she's, okay, this isn't as bad because, you know, obviously you expect the worst, which is good. Mm -hmm. But we could put sunglasses on him. And this is before any makeup has been done. Mm -hmm. So she starts, you know what, for my family, we're going to keep it open and then we'll close it later. Thank you so much for being so honest with me. Mm. So he left. And then I had our mortician and bomber. They, they worked their magic. And we also had the backup plan on sunglasses. He was a real cool fella, this man. I really enjoyed getting to know about him and his, his life story. And you know what? The gift of embalming and also the, the cosmophology side of this business they kept the casket open. Wow. So, you know, you just have to have an honest conversation with them of where we're at because, you know, we are organic material and I wish we were magicians sometimes. So we just don't want to, uh, the words are not coming to me. We just, we need to make sure that their, their goodbye is a good one, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That, that's what we're in the business for. Uh, we never want to cause more trauma than, than has already happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you also said you kind of have this zest for life and, you know, you've been toying around with what your what your tool might be that you're going to offer. But we were talking about a bucket list. Uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned having kind of a life bucket list in honor of your deceased loved one and maybe things that they would have liked to have done. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and how you live your life and what your bucket list is like and how you might be sharing this as a tool in the book. So as my job, you know, they're like, wow, you're around death all the time. You, gosh, how miserable, how sad. And my answer is I'm around life and love every single day. So I get to hear these life stories and also the people who are, are living too about them. Such wonderful people I get to meet every day. You get to hear the most interesting stories from all walks of life, all different religions, all different demographics and ways of life. And you learn something new every day in my profession. And what I take from that is inspiration. So every time somebody leaves a funeral service, I'm also a celebrant. So when I'm able to write the services and be able to be the public speaker, I want to leave everybody inspired. And go out and do something that their loved one that passed away would have loved and cherished their memory. So in my own life, I have my my grandmother in the back of my head, my, my Gemini other spirit animal. And she always, always pushed me to live large, make sure that you're always true to yourself and follow your moral compass where your happiness goes. So I've just little things here and there in my own life 
I've been making a bucket list. Every new year, I make a list of things I want to do, whether that is like this year, I created a nurse honor guard. I had this idea in the back of my head to start a guard to honor nurses that have passed. And I, I did that this year. I always wanted to go to Long Island. For some reason, I've never been to Long Island. Just something weird like that. And yeah. <laughs> no, I, I make these little lists or, you know, I wanted to, geez, I could be really funny and be like, oh, I wanted to go buy a mermaid tail and go in the lake and swim around or something. Like something just stupid. But you also learn about people and you get very curious about life. You know, I just met somebody last week who's into bird watching, and you know, you kind of look around. It's wow, there are different birds around here. So my tool, which honestly, I'm sorry, I'm just talking because I really don't know yet how I'm going to put this into three thousand words. It's just just open your eyes to honoring that loved one and finding your happiness, and knowing that they still want you to live, and and find yourself, and and find your happiness and maybe make make those check marks every year. And I don't want to say accomplish, but it's good for the, it's good for the soul. So that's, that's what I want to leave the families when they come to services and I help them. I want them to feel inspired. Great journey is different for everybody. It's up and down. But at the end of the day, if you can still look within and say, I'm here and I'm going to take their love with me and continue life, that's, that's strength right there. Yeah. Well, I think that that's beautiful. And, you know, I, I like the idea of adding to your bucket list, you know, some things that maybe, um, you know, the person that you lost in your life either didn't get a chance to do and you can do that for them or maybe Absolutely. something that they have done, you know, and that you haven't done, but that you can, you know, recreate that in your own life. And well, you know, I think that this was lovely. It was a great conversation, you know, to have. And I think anyone that comes to your funeral home and sees your beautiful face and gets to talk to you and just feel your your calm energy and presence is it's such a gift. So they're very lucky to come to your funeral home because it really comes across how much you genuinely care about what you do and love what you do. And you're so mindful of making this a really beautiful experience for people. Like you said, you can only have a funeral once, right? There's only one shot at this and it's a lot of pressure, but you know, it sounds like you guys are really uh, very mindful about the process, which is really beautiful. Thanks. So, yeah. So I'd like you to give your funeral homes website just so people know about that because we do have a lot of local people in New York, you know, and you never know who might be listening just in our county as well to this. So go ahead and give your funeral home a plug if you'd like. Okay, well, you can learn more about Glenville Funeral Home at glenvillefuneralhome.com. And if you have any questions, you can always call us at 518-399-1630. Any question is a good question. I know this taboo topic is, it's hard and nobody wants to make that call, but I hope the person on the other line, myself or one of my coworkers can help bring some light to you. Awesome. Well, Brittany, thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be, you know, part of this experience with you and really looking forward to the book that all of us are going to create because I know it's going to bring a lot of healing to a lot of people. It's going to be a very useful tool. So thank you again, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and I hope you learned some things about what it's like to be a funeral director and 
you know, just talking about some of the tough stuff and some of the real stuff that, you know, some of us like myself may, you know, be hit with a death and you just never get a chance to view that body. And, you know, that can be a little bit of a shock and something to work through with the grief process. So thanks again for listening. And I will definitely bring you another episode very soon. So take care, everyone, and have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com. And be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.